all done with your Christmas shopping already? All right, I'm impressed. So this morning, this Christmas might be the same old routine for you. Um, You might buy the same gift you bought for your sister last year. (laughs) Or maybe you're going to always have the same dinner that your mom cooks, or your grandpa's going to come and tell you the same old jokes every single Christmas. You should always laugh, no matter what, by the way. And maybe kind of the magicness of Christmas has uh, kind of faded away. I know this year, Joel and I kind of sunk to an all-time low. I put the gifts in the Amazon cart that I wanted. He pressed buy. Like, that's kind of, that was like the, the way that I knew. And then it links to my email. So then in my email pops up this email that says, you just purchased blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Merry Christmas, Joel. Thank you. And so that was kind of our, our tradition this year. But this year, this morning, I just want to implore us, let's not get used to Christmas. Let's not forget the extraordinary significance that it has on our faith, even throughout the year, even on our simple and boring days, even if you just fill up your Amazon cart and someone presses the buy button. Let's not get used to the magic of Christmas. And so last Sunday, we talked about Joseph, and we have been going through the the family, a family Christmas these last few weeks. We talked about Joseph, and then today we're going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll finish the series talking about Jesus. And so this morning, so that we don't get used to Christmas, I want to invite a very special guest up here this morning, my sweet daughter, Cecily. So come on up, Cecily. And Cecily is going to help us. Why don't you stand right over here? And I want you guys to please sing along. And she is going to sing a, a Christmas carol that is from Mary's perspective. to heaven to live with me there. 
Good job, girl. Love you. Take that to daddy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. And I pray, God, that as simple as those words were, Lord, that we could just declare our love for you. God, that you would be with us, that you would be near us, and that you would help us hear your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 1 today for a little while. And the angel is talking to Mary. And he, she says, the angel says these remarkable words. And I feel like these words, this one verse that we're going to kind of culminate on this morning could sum up Christmas. This could shape our everyday walk with Emmanuel, God with us. And that is Luke 1.37. And it says this. It's from an angel's mouth. It says, for with God nothing will be impossible. So let's say that out loud together. Are you ready? For with God, nothing will be impossible. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah is a prophet, and he says in the scripture, he says to the people, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what he's saying is you cannot, should not, will not miss the most significant birth because his mother is going to be a virgin, and that is not normal. <laughs> I'm going to do something so strange and so significant that you will not miss that the Son of God will come, and they will be named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so I'm going to make it very clear to you, I'm going to make it very clear that this is the Son of God. And so in Luke 1, the Son was born, away in a manger, the one that would crush Satan, the one that would forgive sin, the one who would deliver all people for all time, past, present, and future, was born to a virgin. And this news reached the ears of a man named Theophilus. And I want to tell you a little about Theophilus. He was a wealthy, political, affluent man, uh, a man of means and stature and significance. And he heard about Jesus and he was deciding whether or not he was going to wholeheartedly give his life to Jesus and fully devote himself to be a Christian. And I think some of you here today might be in that very same spot as Theophilus, or at least you know someone who is, that maybe this Christmas you are considering if you want to follow Christ. If he truly is Savior, if he truly is more than just a good prophet, whether he really is the Christ, that you are deciding that. And so, Theophilus, like many of us, doesn't want to simply just devote himself to this cause without first investigating the facts. And so he sets aside this large sum of money, and he uh, goes to a medical doctor named Luke. And he says to Luke, uh, here is some money. I want you to go and research this and come back and tell me what you find. And Luke was a gifted historian. He was a medical doctor. He, he, he knew what he was doing. And so Theophilus uh, assumed maybe that Luke uh, didn't grow up reading the Old Testament. He didn't grow up waiting for the Messiah. He wasn't Jewish. And so maybe he'd be a little bit more objective in his investigation. And what I find so interesting is um, they sent a medical doctor to look into things like was his mother really a virgin? Medical doctors know things like that. Um, was he really dead before he went to the grave? Did he was he really alive when he came up out of the grave? A medical doctor would know 
the facts about these things and could begin to, to find an investigation that would build up the facts. And so Theophilus funds Luke to go out on this journey. And, and Luke goes out and he goes um, and meets eyewitnesses. He looks at the oral tradition. He looks through the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, which were already written. And he reads lots of accounts. And he begins to produce this information um, about Jesus. And he produces it in a very orderly, truthful, historical, factual, accurate way about who Jesus was and, and what he said he did. And so he took years of his life uh, to, to figure this out. And it culminated as he wrote a sequel and a, a prequel and a sequel in the book of Luke and Acts. All right, Luke wrote both of those books, and he wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after he researched all of these things that Theophilus sent him to do. So when we learn about Mary, we can probably infer that Luke actually sat with Mary, that Luke actually went into wherever Mary, Mary's town was, maybe she was still in Nazareth, and sat with her. Now at this time, she wasn't a young teenager anymore, like we often think of her. She was probably maybe in her 70s, the way the timeline, uh, the way the timeline works out. And she sat with maybe um, the, the elderly woman, Mary, and, and, well, Pastor Don, that's actually young, the young woman, Mary, all right? And, uh, and she, she sat with him, with her, and Luke just said, Mary, okay, so tell me, um, is there anyone that can confirm what you're saying? Uh, do you have any friends or, or family? What did the doctor say? Can you support your claims? And he's doing this investigative work, and that brings us all the way up to Luke chapter 126, and this is how Luke begins his story. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so that verse just in itself tells us a lot. Nazareth is a nothing town. Just, just a nothing town. In fact, it's mentioned here in Luke, uh, but it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apophrica. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. It's not mentioned in, in uh, Josephus' record. He was an ancient historian. No one important came from Nazareth. Nothing important came from Nazareth. Nothing exciting happened there. It was the big zero, okay? It's like, um, have you ever been traveling and uh, you go on a long road trip and you pull into one of those towns to get some gas? I'm a... Uh, my personality is I wait till like the light goes on and the, you know, I like to play chicken with the gas meter, see how long I can go. Uh, so do you ever pull into one of those towns and you're like, you know, I just need some stale coffee and an oatmeal cream pie, you know, and to use the bathroom and clean the bug off your windshield and you kind of get out of the town as fast as you can and you just thank God, like, thank God this is not where I live, right? That's Nazareth. That's Nazareth. There's nothing there. Anyone come from a rural town like that? You're like, that's where I live. That's where I grew up all the time. All right. Yeah, exactly. Who would even go there? Who would even go to a town like Nazareth? I'll tell you who would go. God would go. And he did. God would go and he did. Because nothing, nothing, nowhere, no place on earth is impossible for God. And I believe that even the town Nazareth speaks to us in, in, in a prophetic way that this Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, enters into the part of our life that we score an F in. <laughs> enters into the part of our life, the town that we would call Nazareth, the part that is messy and dark and the part that, that you don't even want anyone to know about. 
The part that you can't even make sense of. The the part that we don't want to talk about. And we think, who would even go there? If anyone really knew that part of me, who would even go there? And God says, I will go. Because nothing is impossible for me. Because out of barrenness, I grow good things. Because out of confusion, I bring clarity. Out of difficulty, I soothe with love. Out of dark and hurtful Christmas memories, I birth new hope. Out of broken relationships that give me, you know, just bad distress, I bring wholeness and healing. God says, I go to those things. You know, have you ever thought, uh, why did Jesus come into the world through a pregnant, unwed teenage girl from a nothing town? Like, God could have done it any way he wanted. He could have chosen any way that he wanted. He didn't have to do it that way. But I believe that it is his way of saying, I don't do things the way the world expects. I do it in the opposite way altogether because my power is made perfect in weakness. He looked down at Mary and said, oh, you're kind of plain from nowhere. You got nothing to give. Perfect. Perfect. This is exactly who I need. This is exactly the soil in which the kingdom of God can begin to grow out of. Because Jesus, that's what he does. He will win salvation through weakness and suffering and death on a cross. And he will achieve power and influence through sacrificial serving. And I believe that if you have Jesus in your life, your life will look a lot like that. Your life will look a lot like trading riches and wealth for stale coffee and oatmeal cream pies. (laughs) That your life will look a lot like sacrificing and imperfect and humble And Luke just continues, and and I don't know how you view Mary, but as you kind of think about her in your mind, um, think, you know, peasant girl, peasant dress, okay, pulling water from her well, collecting firewood for her parents' home. She was probably illiterate at that time, um, probably dirty feet and sandals, walking around on dirt roads. And we just continue here uh, in Luke 1, 28 through 33. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I imagine she's probably like, are you, t- are you talking to me? You know, like, who, who are you talking about? Because I just have, I don't know anything. I'm just from this town. I, I have nowhere to go. I, I'm just here I am. And he's saying, no, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and you will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Said the angel Gabriel to the junior high girl who was probably illiterate from a dirty gas station town. Okay, this is just crazy. It's, it's amazing what God is doing and he's unpacking this idea that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Nowhere is impossible. I want to go back to that word favor. Uh, The angel says you are highly favored. It actually literally means it's the word for grace. It's the word for undeserved favor, uh, unmerited love. We don't deserve it. And so Gabriel said to Mary, you have found favor with God. And every other year when I've read this story, um, I've always thought of it as 
Well, God picked Mary to be the mother of Jesus, and that's the favor that he's talking about here. You know, like he, I picked you to fulfill the, you know, my plan for, for the world, and from now, in 2,000 years from now, they're going to talk about you in Erie PA, you know. Like, you're, you're going to be famous. You're going to be famous. Here's your favor. Raising the Christ child was incredible favor, and I believe that's true. But this year it dawned on me that that was not the greatest favor that God bestowed on Mary. That God gave Mary a completely unique calling, a calling that no one will ever do in the history of time again. But the favor that is being referred to here is the grace of God. And it is the same grace that God pours out on each of us. It is the same grace that God offers every single one of us today. So therefore, we could put our own names in this scripture, and the angel could come to us and say, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you. Because it is that same grace and that same favor that God is offering us. You know, Mary was not sinless. Mary deserved God's wrath along with every other fallen human. But this meant that God's favor on her was unmerited, and and the grace was of staggering proportions. And Mary's greatest blessing wasn't being the mother of Jesus. I'm sure that was a huge blessing, but that wasn't the greatest. Mary's greatest blessing was that her child would save her from her sins. That the favor of God, that the plan that God had for all of eternity is that she was going to bear the Savior that would then save her from her own sins. And the blessing is given to everyone. This, this, this blessing is given to everyone in every generation who believes in him. In fact, this favor is offered today. If you have never trusted the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the favor that is being spoken about in Luke 1 is offered to, to you today. All you have to do is receive it. Receive the fact that you're a sinner. You need Christ to save you. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. And believe in faith that he will. And, you know, I asked this question, God, why, why would you favor her? Why, why would you favor me? Why would you favor each of us? Why would you choose us? And I believe the answer is simply because God is good and he loves us. And, and there is no reason beyond that. It wasn't because she qualified. It wasn't because we have been, you know, really excellent and, and we've really served God and we have a really good track record of giving and, you know, all these things. It is just the fact that he looks down, just like he did with, with Jesus uh, to be born to Mary, and he says, I could pick the most successful, affluent, significant woman or the most beautiful town or the palace that has just the best education so that, you know, my son Jesus can, can get the best of the best. But instead, she looked, he looked down and he said, okay, Who do I favor and who can I trust? And what message can I then send to the world forever and ever and ever? Mary and Joseph, I can trust them. We talked about that a little bit last week, becoming people that God can trust. And Christmas is all about God favoring us by grace, taking nobody from nowhere and giving us love, and that's what he does. And that is the impossible that the angel is talking about. It's not so much the impossibility of a virgin getting pregnant. It's the impossibility of the fact that we cannot make it to heaven on our own, but the Holy Spirit can bridge that gap and give us favor. And that is what we are thankful for on Christmas. That is what Christmas is. You know, I read online uh, recently this week that... um, Bill Gates is worth $75 billion, okay? $75 billion. Now, if you got a letter in the mail from him, a Christmas card, maybe it would have an apple on it, um, and it said, 
that he had taken an oath by the blood of his son to spend all of his riches and all of his kindness on you for the rest of your life, that would be a pretty good Christmas present, right? Okay, like Ferraris, beach vacations, private jets, don't forget to love your pastor. Okay, like there would be lots of things you could do with just a little bit of Bill Gates' money. Because he would say that he, he just, he, somebody told him that his mission in life is just to bless you. Yet, Bill Gates' wealth compares to God's like a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, right? We would all agree with that. $75 billion to God? Pfft. Couch change, right? God has so much of that and more. And Bill Gates could only show you kindness for a few years, 10, 30, 60, however long that God allows you on this planet. But but let's look at what Paul says that God intends for, to do for us. This is what Paul says that God intends to do for us in Ephesians 2.7. That in the coming ages, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It says in the coming ages. How long is an age? How many of them are coming? Well, The answer is simple. All of them in the future are coming. Okay. It doesn't really matter how long they are because all of them are coming. And and that's really just a way to saying when eternity ends, God will quit. God, God will stop having fresh ideas to show us kindness, but eternity never ends. And so God, in all of his favor and all of his goodness, just wants to show us kindness in ways that extend exceedingly riches us. You know, God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Somewhere along the line, some of us have gotten the impression that God doesn't like us. But his favor is ours for the taking. And I believe that Christianity is all about God favoring us by grace. And in that incredible favor, just simply knowing that that's who God is and that's what he does. So as we just continue in this passage of Luke 1, it's interesting because all of this happens and, and God says, I'm going to bless you like crazy and nothing is impossible for me and, and all of these amazing things are going to happen and not only am I going to bless you now, but I'm going to extend kindness and find ways to bless you all of your life here on earth and into eternity. And Mary comes uh, to verse 34 and she says this to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, Mary doesn't have unbelief. But she does have questions. And some of you are here this morning and you'd say, you know, I believe in Jesus. He's my God. He died for my sins. He rose for my salvation. But I have some questions. I I have some questions about how this is all going to work out. It's not that I don't believe it. I just have some questions. I believe that things are true. Christianity is certainly big enough for your questions. And I believe that Christmas is big enough for your questions. It was big enough for Mary's questions. She could still have the favor of God. She could still complete the mission and assignment that God had given her. But she had some questions. And I I think there are two kinds of doubts. There's dishonest doubts and honest doubts. Okay, dishonest and honest. And dishonest doubts are birthed out of pride. Okay, they show uh, laziness and selfishness. They, they want the answer to uh, be catering to our situation, maybe to justify our own behavior. A dishonest doubt would, would, would hear something that God says or, or read something in the scripture and say, well, that's just stupid. 
<laughs> or that's impossible. That's impossible. That can't happen. Or I, I, you know, I can argue that out all the way. It's kind of trying to get out of the hard work of thinking. It's the small mindedness that assumes that if I don't understand it, then it must not be true. <laughs> if I don't get it, then it must not be true. It's not having this moment of saying, you know, there are just some things that I don't understand. That doesn't mean they're not true, but I have some questions about it. But honest doubts are humble because they lead you to ask questions. They, they lead you to actually, actually become vulnerable, and it sets you up for a deeper and clearer understanding. I love that Mary asked this question. I love that Mary looked straight at the angel. She was brave. She looked straight at the angel, and she said, she expressed an honest doubt. She said, uh, what's going to happen? I don't understand this since I am a virgin. And, you know, if she would have never expressed that doubt, the angel would have never spoken one of the greatest statements I believe in the Scripture, and that is Luke one thirty seven that nothing will be impossible with God. You know, I am so grateful for her doubt. Because that statement has been comforting and guiding me for years. And all kinds of people have been helped immensely by those words. And the only reason that we get to this extra revelation, the only reason we get to hear the angel speak this, is because Mary doubted openly. Because she asked her question. The more you are willing to express doubt honestly and humbly, the more you're willing to bring honest questions to God, the further that you and the people around you are going to get the deeper you're going to get. Now, Mary doesn't argue with God. She doesn't disagree with God. Here's her question. I believe that can happen, but how's it gonna work? That's a fair question. I believe this is gonna happen, but how's it gonna work? How can I have a baby? I don't have a husband. I'm a virgin. That's right, Mary, you can't. But now, learn the most important lesson in all the universe. Reckon with the reality of God that a virgin can't produce a baby, but God can. But God can. God can do that. And it begins to, to even, her question actually built her faith. Her question pushed her deeper and helped her understand more of what God wanted her to understand. And so know this today. Don't be afraid of your questions. It's okay that you say to God, I believe you, but I don't get it. I'm asking for more of your revelation. I want to understand this deeper. You don't have to take everything at face value. Please don't. We want to be a thinking church a group of people who can understand where we are and, and, and why our roots go deep. Don't take everything at face value, but ask it in honesty and say, God, I trust you, but I want you to explain to me why it is this way or how this is going to happen. And God just might. He just might send an angel to tell you, for nothing is impossible. He'll do it in ways that we never dreamed he could do it. You know, Mary doesn't have a lot of book knowledge. We talked about how she was illiterate. She doesn't have a lot of experience. But here's what she does have, faith. She believes what God says. And his promise is always bigger than the person. His promise is always bigger than the person. And so many of us have far more information than her and far less faith in it. And some of you think, I need to learn more. I need to learn more before I like, get more serious about God, or I need to learn more before I can do this, or, or I, I need to learn more before I lead a small group, or I need to learn more before I, I participate in this or that. And maybe you do, maybe you do. But first things first, believe what you already know. Because Mary knows very little, but she trusts it all. All that she knows, she trusts. And so God will just continue to help her understand more and more. 
She actually trusts God. She takes him at his word. And this is what she responds. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever he wants, that's what I want. And I will serve as he calls. And I believe that Mary brings forth the plan and the purpose of God by saying yes to him. Just, just by saying yes. And Mary is willing to let go of her comfort and her security and her identity. And she just says, you know what? I'll do it if that's what you're asking me to do. And God can do the impossible when we uttered those words. When our hearts are surrendered like that, God can do the impossible. Let's finish up the chapter here, Luke 135 through 37. The angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And this is the great line, for nothing will be impossible with God. This Christmas, do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? That God can create everything out of nothing, that God can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son, that God can take on human flesh and enter into human history as the man Jesus Christ, and God can, can save sinners like us. God can set our, our paths straight. God can provide for us. You know, there's a kind of praying that, that asks for rough roads to be made smooth, for mountains to be leveled, for valleys to rise, to meet our walking. There, there, there's a kind of praying that would say, God, would you change the situation? God, would you just break through and give us the, the Christmas money that we need? Will, will you help us get the job that we need? Will you change the situation? There's a kind of praying like that where you ask God to meet a need, a valley where you are, or a mountain that's ahead of you, an obstacle. You ask God to blow up the mountain. And sometimes he does that. And I think that's a good way to pray because sometimes the path that you are walking is just too difficult and you're broken down on the side of the road begging for a Christmas miracle. And sometimes the path needs to change. And there's been many times of my life that I've asked God to change the road. I've asked God for the valleys to be filled in. And God heard every one of those prayers. And Luke 137 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible, no thing. So he can do those things. Maybe you're facing extreme change in your life and it feels impossible and you just need to pray that God will help you survive it. Maybe you're struggling financially and God needs to provide for Christmas. Maybe some of you are sick or some of you are tired or some of you are lonely or some of you are stuck. I want to remind you today that he can make rough roads smooth. He can, he can change your situation in an instant. What took the enemy years to destroy, he can fix in a moment. Because nothing is impossible with God. So let me build your faith in that way. Let me encourage you that this Christmas nothing is impossible. But I also want to tell you about a prayer that we pray in conjunction with declaring that nothing is impossible. And it balances our faith a little bit. Yes, nothing is impossible. God can change any circumstance, any minute. He can heal you from depression right now. He could do that. And he has done that. I've watched him do that in people's lives. But there's also a prayer that reads like this. Lord, give us the right feet for the path. Lord, give us the right feet for the path. Excuse me. And it is this ancient rabbinic prayer. It reflects the Hebrews people thinking. And these people, for endless generations, they would walk these roads, these, these really narrow roads. 
and they made these roads. They didn't level any mountains. They didn't fill in any valleys. In Israel, the roads are made to follow the, the terrain. Right, Carrie? They're made to follow the terrain. And so they don't, they don't you know, on the, on the turnpike, when you drive and there's, big, there's those big walls, that's because they blew through a mountain to get you there. Joel told me that last time we drove by, but I didn't know. But that's not what they do in Israel. In Israel, they, if there's a mountain, they go around it. If there's a hill, if there's a valley, they, they go all through it. Because roads are constructed, constructed by Hebrews as narrow because they're only traveled by a few. They can be treacherous and difficult. They follow the terrain of the land. And I've never been to Jerusalem, but they say that you cannot get to Jerusalem unless you are willing to climb. You can't get to Jerusalem unless you're willing to climb. And that's why they prayed this prayer, Lord, give us the right feet for the path. You know, our church is in transition, and we are experiencing dizzying heights at times, uh, low valleys at times. We're, we're traveling the road of change. Your particular road may be winding with joys and, and challenges as it bends around life's natural curves. And every day is a journey, and, and something new meets us. But Psalm 66, 12 says, We journeyed through dangers, through fire and flood, but you led us finally to a safe place, a land rich and abundant. And there are times to pray for the path to change and for the dangers to disappear and for God to do the impossible because he can. But there are also times that we need to journey through the dangers and through the fire and through the flood. And we need to walk the road in the mountains and in the valleys. And in that time, I pray that God would give us the right feet for the path. In those days, we declare that nothing is impossible and God give us the right feet for the path. Nothing is impossible, and God, give us the right feet for the path, that we would learn the wisdom that we would need on the journey, that we wouldn't have to circle the mountain again, that God would allow us to see through the valleys and through the mountains and through the transitions and through the hard Christmases and through the good Christmases, that nothing is impossible with you, God, but give us the right feet for the journey. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to respond in this way. The band can come. Bree last week painted this awesome painting of a picture of the, the family of God, and she's going to continue her artwork on this side here today. And we're going to sing a song uh, that was just written right out of Luke 137. It's called Healer, and it declares that nothing is impossible for you. And this is how I would like to end the service the week before Christmas. Would you stand? Actually, would you stand? is I would just want to invite you this morning um, down front to this altar. There's nothing magical about it. Uh, God is just as much here as he is in the back row. But sometimes it takes a physical step to just declare the promises that we believe God is saying. So I, I'm, I'm going to ask that you would come down here if you need feet for the journey. Maybe you just need God to help get, give you the right feet for the journey you're facing. Maybe you would come down here because you want to choose Christ this Christmas for the very first time. That you said, you know what? I have decided that I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe you would come down here if you would just want to encourage yourself that nothing is impossible for God. That I'm facing impossibility. There's impossible situations in my life, but nothing is impossible for God. Maybe you don't even know what you need. I want to invite you to come too. Because oftentimes in the doubt... <laughs> If you have the faith that you're going to give God, he's going to meet you here.
And let's just declare this promise together as we sing. Be blessed by uh, the expression of art that's going to happen here too. And let's just declare that God is healer, that nothing is impossible for him. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll end this song, Jesus. I thank you that you waste nothing, that the story of, of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the story of your son is so uh, specific because you want us to know that you will go anywhere, that you will go to nowhere towns and nothing places, Lord, to find people that serve you. And God, that you will go to the parts of our heart that are dark and hurting and that you will change something about who we are this Christmas. I pray that we won't get used to it. God, that we could have the magic of Christmas again, Lord, because it's about you and it's about us serving you and you sending your son for this plan of salvation into the kingdom of God. Thank you that nothing is impossible for you. Thank you that we stand before you in faith. Lord, that nothing is impossible for you and God, give us the feet for the journey.
in your name we pray. Amen.